Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. And today, it's a great privilege that we've uh, got Stuart Bogle, who's coming from Australians together to speak to us about how to build better relationships with Indigenous Australians. And Stuart's been a, a long-time friend of mine uh, and he's been a great encouragement to me spiritually, uh, great encouragement to me just as a friend and, uh, and as a mentor. So I want to thank you, Stuart, for the time you put into my life and the journey we've gone on together. But Stuart is the Executive Director of uh, Australians Together and this is an organisation that's seeking to bring uh, first Australian people First Nations people and Australia and sort of dominant cultural Australians together or all other Australians together by telling stories to help us understand where we've come from and where we are today and where we go from here. And wouldn't you agree that actually we do need to have a better relationship with our with, with people who are the First Nations people here? I think everyone would agree with that. And uh, I think as Christians, this is really at the heart of our, uh, of our gospel in building better relationships with all people. So Stuart's the executive director. He's also uh, come from Adelaide to, to speak to us. So I want to invite Stuart up and we're going to ask him a few questions now. So Stuart, thanks for coming. Thank you. Appreciate So um, what was your background? and uh, that sees you working in this sort of space, Stuart. Oh, it's good to be here. And I want to say hello to everyone online. Got a fair bit of feedback happening there. But, um, so it's really good to be here. But I've known this fella for a long time, and it goes back to when I was young. I uh, was 18 and, and came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I didn't have any background in that at all. So when I first became a Christian... I just read my Bible and saw a Jesus that cared for the poor, the hurting, the broken, the marginalised. And so this whole area of justice really became very important to me and I threw myself into it. In fact, we started a group together called Global Challenge because we were really challenged by the global needs around, around the world. And so that's where I really began um, my background and I got into teaching. I got into teaching so I could take that skill um, and work in some part, some place all around the world and serve in some area to address injustice. And I read a great quote one day, which became a mantra for me. It was by John Keats, a, a, um, a poet, and he said, I'm ambitious of doing the world some good. And that's really what uh, I found at 18 when I became a Christian, is that that drove me. Yeah. And Stuart's had a, an incredible passion for uh, global mission and also for, uh, f- for the poor and also for those who face injustice. And uh, that's been evident in his life throughout since I've known him. So um, how did Australians Together begin, Stuart? Well, it was a long story and I have to keep it short because I've only got a few minutes. But it really began, uh, you know, I could write a book on this. It was a God moment when I was in a very, very dark hole and I was literally praying because of some family situation, some health situation, and I just didn't know how we were going to basically survive as a family. And I was praying and I was in tears in the back, crying out to God, saying, God, how am I going to support my family? And I had my computer there and it started to, um, started to one of those Zoom calls or Skype back in the day. 
And I answered it, and it was this Christian friend of mine who was a wealthy philanthropist. And he was like, oh, what's going on? And I said, and he said, I'll call you back. And I said, no, no, I need to hear from you. I need, I need a distraction. And he said, I've actually rung to offer you a job. And I said, you're kidding me. Just what I've been praying about. But I, and he told me what it was. He'd got a foundation and he wanted to do good in this world. And he said, you know, you could help me with this foundation. And I dropped my head going, I just, it's the dream thing, but I can't do it. And he said to me, um, why not? And I told him my situation. He said, well, how about we do this? What about you work full-time or part-time, one day a week? You can work for six weeks or take six weeks off. Whatever's happening in your family, how about you do that? So it was clearly God answering my prayer in a way that was unbelievable. But I said, what was it? What did you want me to do? And he said, I've got a conviction that there's a wound in the spirit of our nation that goes back to first contact between non-Indigenous Australians and Indigenous Australians. And I'd like you to address that. So that began um, 12 years of being in this space now. And so what is Australians together seeking to achieve, Stuart? Well, we took that idea of there's a wound in our nation and we began to explore it. And I was a school teacher and a preacher and I was absolutely blown away when I did some learning and I went, this can't be true. This didn't happen in our country. I, I've never heard this. And we began to explore the incredibly difficult and knotty and complex history in our country. And we tried to tell the story without it coming across as blaming and, and looking to shame people or, or a portion guilt to anybody or, or any of that. We, we, we looked to tell the stories. And so I got to travel around the country and meet the most amazing people, and you'll meet a couple of them in the, as I share, who would talk to me about their experiences in this country. And we knew at that point that what we wanted to do is tell stories in order to change the narrative of our country. And so we are bit by bit working with, we started with doing everything. We worked with churches, we worked with not-for-profits, we worked with corporates, and it was just a monstrous. It was like eating the elephant one bite at a time, and, and it was just so big that we decided we needed to focus. So a couple of years ago, we shifted our focus to say we're going to really work with teachers and work in schools because all of those children will grow up to become the workers who will be in churches and they'll be in community groups, etc. So that's what we're trying to do is shift the narrative in this country and ultimately address the wound and see healing take place in our nation. Mm. Thanks, Stuart. And what have you learned along the way? <laughs> what are some of the important things you learned along the way? I, I've listened to some. I've learned something that I um, was never very good at. It was listening. I would come in and with solutions all the time, and just realise I, I didn't know anything. So we began to listen and we began to to learn. But I don't think it's what I've learned so much. It's the people that have taught me so much. And I want to share just a, a short video of one of those people, because I've seen a grace. I've seen a resilience and I've seen a, just incredible strength and courage in people that I didn't know existed. You see, I'd been informed by the media. I'd been informed by limited experience. And so I had this mindset without any information or without any real relationships. So as I began to build relationships, I've met Uncle Graham, who's the most gracious man you'll ever meet, whose grandfather was plucked out of a canoe in Vanuatu, taken as a, in the slave trade and brought over to Australia, intermarried with an Indigenous group, and that's his story of slavery in his family. I've met, and you'll meet Aunty Iris in a moment, she's told me the stories, uh, she's the wife of Uncle Graham, and I remember saying to her, hearing Uncle Graham talk about what she'd gone through, and I said, oh, do you think she'd do this on a video for us? 
And this little smile came on his face and he gets his phone out and rings the number and hands me the phone. He says, ask her. So when I asked her, she completely broke down in tears. And she said, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I said, I'm so sorry. She goes, do you think anybody would listen? And I said, that's what I want. I want people to hear your story. And so she tells the story. So I'm going to just chuck a video off just for a couple of minutes. And this is the sort of person I get to meet and the sort of um, incredible impact they've had on my life. At Sherberg, when you grew up at the age of 15, 16, you, um, the government organised you to work as domestic women. The payment uh, in, in those days was um, five pounds. And to me, that was a lot of money. But to my amazement, my first pay week was two pounds, not five. And straight away, I asked, where is the other three? And they said, oh, that's, that has to go back to the settlement, the reserve, where you come from. And I could not do anything about that. They've been doing it for years. That's how they controlled you, yeah. It was a common thing. We just didn't um, have any rights whatsoever, really living on those uh, communities like that. They told us it was going into our banking account. When you turn 21, you're eligible to apply for ex what they call exemption. You only found that you only had a few dollars in the bank. Where did the money go? They said, oh, that all gone back to the department. We argued and fought for our uh, rights to try and get some of that money that was banked. Now, Anna Bly wrote back to say, the government will only allow you to have $3,000 from that money. Now, people have been working for years and years and years. And there was nothing more you could do about it. And that's it. And that's not only me, there's a Holes, hundreds and hundreds of Indigenous workers that went out to work and did that. I've seen so many of our folk just turn to drink alcohol, but I'm thankful that I didn't go down that track, that the Lord saved me. Today's Bible reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Thank you. Father, just thank you that we don't have to ask you to be here. You are here, and you've got plans and purposes for what you want to do in the hearts and minds of everyone here and online. Just pray you'd put your words in my mouth and help me to get out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, I love a good story. You probably can pick up from before that I've been involved in story a lot. And we tell stories at Australians together. In fact, last Saturday night, we launched the most amazing film at the, Australia, at the Adelaide Film Festival called The Last Daughter. It's an incredible story of a woman called Brenda who was taken from her home when she was young and who went to live in a white family and then with a change of policy was ripped out of that family and taken back to her own family. And it, it just was incredible to be part of a, a film that we helped to create and to sit there with a... There were four cinemas that were booked out. Um, it was incredible. So I love stories. I'm also writing a book. I've just finished it, and I'm like that person who's an artist who's trying to decide when the piece of art's finished. I just keep, keep working on it all the time. But it's a story of what God's done in my life as I've wrestled with some of the most difficult things you could imagine. I also ran an organisation called Lost Sheep. Had a real heart for children, and it was all children's books. And we had the mantra there that when Jesus wanted to change lives, he told stories. So it's no surprise that I want to talk about story to you today. And I want to talk about a really big story. But before we get to that really big story, I want to tell you a little tiny story that involves your pastor. Um, it was a story of when I was young and I was just, you know, and Ian was young. It's hard to imagine seeing him up here that he was young once, but he, he was. And we were on a jetty and we were fishing. And it was just two of us, and it was dark, and we were just passionate about what God was going to do in our lives and what he'd done in our hearts. And so we were talking about reaching the lost and justice issues, and we talked for a long time, and there was no one else on this jetty except a guy about 20 metres away, and he was fishing. And we hadn't talked to him for two hours, and then suddenly I had this revelation. What are we doing talking about it instead of doing it? So there's this guy up there, and he may be lost, he may be needing Jesus, and we should go and talk to him. And Ian, being the great leader that he is, he said, you go and do it. <laughs> and, and, and so as I walked up to him, this guy who had been sitting there for the last you know, couple of hours, and he looks at me with this look on his face, and he goes, and I said, so, how's it going? <laughs> Have we caught anything? And he goes, nah. I said, well, that reminds me of a story in the Bible when they weren't catching any fish either. And Jesus said to cast your nets on the other side. So maybe you should cast your rod on the other side. And he looks at me with this look on his face like, you're an idiot. <laughs> and he goes back to his fishing. So I sort of drop my head and turn around to walk back to my companion, Pastor Ian, who's going to encourage me. And he's doubled over laughing at me, thinking what a fool I was. Now I'm sure he has changed and he's encouraging you a lot in your ministry. I just wanted to give you a little insight, and I'll be here for a little while after the service, and I've got a heck of a lot more stories, I can tell you. Anyway, anyway, we're part of a bigger story than that, and God has given us a role to play. So up on the screen is a question I want to start to wrestle with at the beginning. What's the role we are meant to be playing in God's big story, and how does that relate to building better relationships with Indigenous people? So from the beginning to the end, the story we're all involved in, it's a big, big story. Starts in a garden, it's going to finish in a city, from Genesis to Revelation. And in any good story, you need to have something that goes wrong. And so right at the beginning, let's call it Act 1, something went really badly wrong in the garden. Sin. And when sin entered the world in the garden, it created brokenness in all our relationships. And you've been talking about that over the last few weeks. 
Brokenness in relationships with God, with each other, with the environment, with our own sense of self. When sin entered that garden, it disrupted what was right and good and meant to be, and it's caused untold damage. In the second act, you've got to have the thing that goes wrong causes a problem, one that's hard to fix. Our problem from the garden onwards is that suffering entered the world and a break in our relationship with God. And then any good story, you need a resolution. And so when you look at the big story arc of all of creation, the one that we're all part of, whether we like it or recognize it or not, God has been working to resolve things, to reconcile brokenness, to bring that which is broken back together. He did it through his son who gave up his life so that you and I could be right with the Father, with each other, with the world that he created, and with ourselves. Sin created a wound. It damaged so many areas of creation. And what did God do about the wounds that were created through sin? He acted. He responded. And he did it in two ways. He sent his son on our behalf, and then he enlisted us to work with him in his ministry of reconciliation. So if you look at that scripture that was read again, I'm going to go through that again. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All of this comes from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And in these verses, Paul begins to touch on this whole area of restoration and reconciliation. But we don't get to just sit in the pews or sit in the film and just watch it. We've been invited to participate in it, to be part of it. Paul tells us we're in the story. We have a part to play, and that's verse, in 20, uh, verse 20 says, we, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, that's the key takeaway. If you want to go to sleep or check your phones, that's it. You've got it. That's it. We're here to work with God on what he's doing in this world. And this is our calling. This is our role as followers of Jesus. He has chosen us to be ambassadors. You may not feel like you're a very good ambassador, but you've been chosen to represent Christ here on earth. And on the surface, this is a clear call to evangelism. Let's go and tell people about the reconciling God who gave his son so that they can be back into that right relationship with God the Father. But there is so much more to restoration and reconciliation than this. If you look at the role we've been given in this great big story, we're actually action figures. That's what we are. And our script, it starts with something like this. Love your neighbour. Love your neighbour. This love is an action. It's not just a call to repentance. The Christian faith is meant to be characterised by practice and not just proclamation. And there's scripture after scripture. You know, you know the one in James 2 that says, faith without action is dead. It's got no worth if you're just going to believe and never respond and, and live it out. The Bible speaks about the fruit in our lives. People see the fruit and by your fruit they'll know that you love him. 
The 8th century prophets in the Old Testament, they kept saying, yeah, 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 you're good at this worship thing, but what about action? What about caring for the poor? What about doing something? In Matthew 25, it's that picture of a king sitting on the throne separating the sheep and the goats. And you know the story, it says, the king says, come you who are blessed. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And then the people say, I don't remember you doing any of that. What are you talking about? And the king says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. Over and over again, the Christian life is about actions that reflect our faith. Now you might be sitting there thinking, what's all that got to do with indigenous people and building better relationships with them? They aren't named in the garden. And you didn't do anything to them. But what took place in the garden began the process of brokenness in all of humanity. And we see it played out over and over and over again in lots of small stories. With families that are broken. With people having a a, a loss of a sense of identity and fracturing and some people taking their lives because of that. We see it in the way we relate to others. We see what's happening in Europe at the moment with Ukraine and Russia. We see that brokenness played out over and over again. All of these situations, all of these smaller stories need a reconciling God and it needs us to play our part. The passage in Corinthians explains a principle. God is restoring things, all things, and we are called to play our role in this reconciling restoring story and let me tell you now and i think you know this one of the things that is broken and badly needs restoring is the relationship between indigenous and non-indigenous australians i am utterly blown away by what i've learned in these past 12 years and i am was have been confused for a very long time why i didn't know these things i never knew the story of stolen wages do you know that thousands of aboriginal people were taken away and sent to work forcibly in living memory. And then we're told they weren't going to be paid for it. And so when we say things like, oh, it happened a long time ago, it's time to move on, we invalidate what's happened to so many people, and Arnie Iris represents so many. It's something I was ignorant about, and I've come to see how critical it is for our nation, but also for the church here in Australia. It's something I know Ian's passionate about, and that's why he asked me to come here to share. So we're passionate about it, but what about you? And we need to address the why. Why would you be passionate? See, I've done this enough now over 12 years. I know some of you already checked out. It's like we're going to get hit with all this guilt and all these statistics. But I just want to ask you to suspend that for a moment. Just see what God wants to say. So what would the why be? See, there's not a lot of Indigenous people around you. You didn't do anything wrong, I I hope, but you didn't do anything wrong. The government's spending a stack of money supporting them, and I know you don't want to be blamed for what you didn't do. So what would be your why for getting involved in this story? Is it because it's becoming more topical and we probably should do something about it? Is it because the Bible says to love the marginalised and the oppressed and that kind of fits? 
Is it because of guilt and you go, I've seen the statistics, we probably should do something? Or is it simply because Ian gets to choose the topics that you do in church? So what I want to do now, and it's impossible in the time I've got to do justice to this whole topic, so I'm just going to talk about some whys that I think should cause every one of us to want to not just know the story better, but to play our role in it. To have our name listed in the credits at the end of a movie, at the end of a story, where Australia addresses and sees healing in the wound. So it's going to come up all at once, so try not to read ahead. That's going to be... uh, But if we go to the next slide. Here are some whys. Why would you get involved in this area? Why would you even look at this? Because that is what being an ambassador of reconciliation means. To look at ways to restore broken relationships with everyone, not just the select few, with everyone. God planted you here. Do you know Mooney, Mooney, Ponds, what is it, Mooney Ponds Baptist Church? This has been planted in a land with a checkered history. I just did a quick search of this area. Did you know in Victoria there was something like half a million settlers came pretty quickly and there were 40,000 Aboriginal people and it got reduced to 2,000 very quickly before they were moved into reserves to try to save the remaining ones? That happened in this, this city. And you live here, and you gather to worship here. This has got relevance. This is a primary social justice issue in our country. And when you do look at the statistics and the outcomes and the huge gaps that's still there between the social indicators between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians, the, the world looks at us and goes, you've had a loud voice about all our issues for a long time. What about your own backyard? God tells us in no uncertain terms in this verse and elsewhere that he's in the business of reconciliation. And he said, we have a part to play in this. When there's brokenness, he wants to reconcile things. The Bible also says that we are all of one blood. Acts 6.17 says, God has made of one blood all peoples on earth. But here's a couple of ones, that, a couple of whys that I think are really important and we don't always think about. If I have to when I used to primarily focus on going to churches, if I have to say to those pastors and leaders that I'm going to fight for a piece of the social justice pie, it's a very full pie. There are so many social justice issues churches are involved in. But in Matthew 5, it says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. And Aboriginal people, our brothers and sisters in this country, have something against the church. Some things that happened in the past, not all bad, a lot of it was good, and the church played an incredibly important role. But there are other things that happened that causes many Indigenous people not to feel safe or comfortable to walk through the doors here as many of them don't feel safe or comfortable to walk through the doors of a hospital because often they took away children when they went to the hospital for help. And so I say to people, let's just park the social justice thing for a moment and talk about worship. Our worship is acceptable to God when we don't just come and proclaim him, but when we practice the things that are important to him as well. And so you can come, and it's great that you're gathering, whether here or online, and you can worship God But if you want your worship to count, 
then sometimes we've got to put down our sacrifice and our, before the altar, our offerings, and we need to go and respond to what's on the heart of God. There's also the thought that ambassadors realise or understand, true ambassadors understand that worship comes out of obedience. And they put their offerings down and they obey God. And there's also Acts 1 verse 9 which says, You are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the world. And the church in my experience has been very good at building their Jerusalems and then jumping to the outermost parts of the world. But Judea and Samaria, they were the troubled tribal areas all around them. They were the areas where there was tribes that fought and didn't get along. And what is, what's the message from Jesus? Go and be my witnesses there. Go and testify to what I'm doing, bringing brokenness back together and reconciling and restoring. So as a church, it's not just here and then jump to the outermost parts of the world. It's all around us. Now, I could have gone on and on and on. I've very limited time, but there's so many reasons why you might explore this space. None more so than we're Australian. This is our story. We're part of it. I used to say this phrase, there's a story that needs to be told because a new chapter needs to be written, and we're part of writing that new chapter. But you can't write a new chapter until you know the story. Now, if you accept that there's at least one good reason on that list of why, and that this is an extension of God reconciling the world to himself, then I'd like to help you with your how. How do you do it? How do you build better relationships? And let me tell you, this is no easy thing at all. Honestly, it's an incredibly tough area, and you're likely to be like so many other non-Indigenous Australians, not really in a place to do it well. Not yet. And you're likely to make the mistakes of starting in the wrong place. Most people don't know an Indigenous person. Most people have had very limited experience, and sometimes there hasn't been good experience. And most people have been fed by a media that tells a story of the amount of money that gets wasted or brokenness in communities. And it paints a picture for us. So I'm going to suggest to you to start somewhere else than finding an Indigenous person to invite to church. Because this would be a really foreign place for an Indigenous person to come. I want to suggest strongly you start by doing, and this isn't very exciting, but I want to suggest you start by doing some listening and some learning. And then do some small things that demonstrate you are on a journey to connect with and identify with First Nations Australians. Listen, learn, live. I think this is the key for a Christian, for any, any, any Christian, in any group of people. Start with your neighbour, listen to them, learn about them, then work out how you're going to live next door to them. You know, we do well to adopt that when it came to things like a gay marriage, refugees. Listen. Learn and then work out how you're going to engage. We need to listen to truly understand. We need to learn about another person and put ourselves in their shoes. That's called empathy. And if we do this, we are much better placed to live out our faith in healthy relationships and connections and be that reconciling influence. Why is it important to listen and learn? Because this isn't just about statistics and guilt. This is about real people. And I'm going to take five minutes of your time to show you one more video of someone who's really precious to me, who shared her story. And I had absolutely no idea that this sort of thing took place in our country. And here she is 
sharing her story and wondering if anybody will listen. So I'm going to come back after I've just played this few minutes for you. Well, I went into the dormitory as a tiny babe. I was six and a half months old. My mother was 19. I said to Mum, tell me how you felt when they took us away. She said, well, I wasn't supposed to be taken away. She said, I went there to settle your granny and your grandfather into Sherberg because it was 1929. The depression was on and it was hard for him and the policeman said, if you go to Bramba, that's what it was called then, uh, they'll look after you with food and stuff. He said, then you can come back again. She thought, well, a little while wouldn't be hurt us. I'll take Ruth with me and we'll go there. She wasn't allowed out. She said, I remember standing there when the superintendent came out to greet us and he said, well, we've got no homes here for you. But Ruby and Ruth can go to the dorm women's dormitory. Well, we weren't supposed to be there. Ruby and Ruth wanted to get out straight away. The dormitory was always filled with single parents, single women. Uh, they pulled them out of the camp if they had a child, any of the children of people in the camp. They brought them to the dormitories. Once you were taken from your parent, you had no more connection with them. No more. Absolutely nothing. We were removed, removed from our families. But we sat in the same dining hall, big dining hall, children one side and the grown-ups the other side. And I said to Mum, you never sat with your face towards me at the dining room. She said, I couldn't. I could not look at you. Now, you've got your mother, you know, and he's a four-and-a-half kid taken from her. Four-and-a-half kid is looking for attention. She never looked around. She said, because we weren't allowed to utter a sound at the table. Never a sound. Not even to put a spoon down. We had to slide those seats back so quietly. I was always stood in the middle of the dining hall until everybody finished eating. I had to stand there. I couldn't lift, you know, stand on one leg or... I just had to stand there. And my mother said, Ruthie, I just knew you got into so much trouble. Well, I guessed it was because I was trying to get her attention. And yet I was punished for that. And uh, when I was five, then they sent her away. As they did to most of the mothers, they sent them out to work. So they didn't give anybody a chance to lead another life. I mean, there were people who knew that it was wrong, but they just kept us there. So I was there till I was 14. They had their own idea about protection. I mean, that wasn't our idea. I don't think we needed protection. 
They were doing the best that they could for us. I don't know what the best was. I can never understand that. They were doing this for us, turning us into people, I guess. People would say it was for your own good, but my own good was to stay with my mum. But they don't know the pain in me Cause they can't know what I can see I'm surrounded by misery I'd like to be always free Far away home. <clears throat> there is a history in our country. There is intergenerational trauma. And when we don't pay attention to it, when we don't see that it's still having an impact today, and we think it's time to just move on, we shout that this isn't important, that those stories aren't important, that it's the government's responsibility and we didn't do anything. But when we take the time to listen and learn and we begin to have our hearts touched and we go, imagine if that was you. Imagine if that was your grandmother. You'd understand and you'd have an empathy and it's a much better position to act from. So I want to give you some steps on how, as a church, you can listen and learn to stories like that. There's a four-part DVD series we've got called Sharing Our Story. It's a great way to explore as a small group. It's free. It's been through churches all around this country. I'd really encourage you to hear more stories like that. I'd encourage you, instead of saying to someone like, oh, let's get Nani Ruth out here and tell us how she was traumatised when she was young, what about going to places where Aboriginal people are putting things on? During National Reconciliation Week and NAIDOC Week, going as a small group, going as a church... What about learning about your local area and just engaging in the history of this local area, this city of Melbourne? You can discover your own cultural lens to understand the lens by which you view others. We've got a great activity for that. Keep learning. It sounds like I'm spruiking Australians together, but if you go to our website, there's a whole stack of stories just like those where you can learn more. You can learn about all this stuff to do with welcome to country and acknowledgement of country. What's it all about? What's all the fuss around Australia Day? Learn about that. really encourage you next year, organise for your church to gather the community and watch The Last Order. It's an incredible film. Because these sorts of steps of just listening and learning before you do anything is how you begin the process of restoring and reconciling. This is how you begin to play your part in the big story. Don't let your key performance indicators on this say, we're going to do something. Don't let it be. We found an Indigenous person. We have a ministry to Indigenous people. We've raised money for Indigenous people. Instead, be ministers of reconciliation on God's behalf by preparing yourself, by learning, by posturing yourself differently to make things right with your neighbour, to do the heavy lifting of having conversations like we're having this morning. And when you do start to work out that you're ready to live, to take some actions, take small steps. I'm just going to run through these quickly. 
Put something in your newsletter, maybe, recognising that you worship on Aboriginal land, a small thing. As a staff member here who's sending out stuff, have in your email signature that you live on Aboriginal, you live and work on Aboriginal land. Understand and use correctly acknowledgement of country. I know a lot of people roll their eyes with that, but you did it for me when I came in today. I walked onto your church and straight I was introduced. People shook my hand. They said, welcome. People offer you things. They look after you. They say, well, you're here. That's, an, that's a welcome to country here. And because you don't have Aboriginal elders probably in this congregation, you acknowledge that we're actually meeting on is it Wurundjeri Warrior land here. I wouldn't do it all the time, but I'd do it at significant times. You might even have a sign out the front. I walked out the front of your church and had a look just to see what was there. You've got some promotional stuff and you've got this stone of when the church was built. Well, why not have something that says, we meet and worship and continue the tradition of learning on Wurundjeri Warrior land. Commission a piece of art that tells the story of this church with a local artist. They would all be small steps that any Aboriginal person walking past or walking in would go, hmm, that's interesting. They're acknowledging something. I've met so many incredible people who are full of grace, who are full of mercy for what they've gone through. And just by listening to their stories, we honour them. These are the people who we need to find ways to reconcile with because we're now sharing this country and we're now sharing the story of this country. And what sort of country do we want to be part of? What sort of story do we want to be part of? I know I want to be one part of one that's reconciling and restorative. I want to be known as an ambassador for the gospel that is more than just getting people into heaven. It's loving them here on earth. So this is a big story that we're part of. The big God story of a wound to humanity that started in the garden and it affects us in many ways every day in this world. But we're also part of a smaller ongoing story of a wound in our nation that goes back to first contact and it continues to this day. And we're part of it. And it affects the lives of many people every single day. These wounds, these wounds that took place right at the beginning, they need attending to. And God has called an army of ambassadors around the world to play their part in his reconciling love, to be his hands and his feet and his voice. Now let me just say really clearly, you aren't responsible for what took place in this country. But will you take responsibility for what comes next and your part in it? Will Mooney Ponds Baptist take part responsibility for the part that they can play as we move forward as a nation? So let's put that question back up on the, that we started with. The next slide. What's the role we're meant to be playing in God's big story and how does that relate to building better relationships with Indigenous people? When we see that God is doing something and we agree to play our part, we begin the journey to helping build better relationships. And it's not just about relationships. That can be tough. You may not be ready for that. It's about a sense of connection. It's about playing our part, even if that part is... Just simple, small steps to move our, help our country move forward. Mooney Ponds Baptist has a part to play in the healing of this wound. You individually have a part to play in the healing of this wound. This is what it means to love your neighbour. Play your part. 
This is what it means to be an Australian Christian on contested land. This is what it means to be an ambassador of reconciliation. I'm going to pray and ask that God would drop one seed into you that brings forth some fruit in the journey that we're on. Let me pray. Father, thank you that when sin entered the garden and ruined so much and broke so many relationships, that you've worked relentlessly to restore and reconcile. You've done it through your son. But thank you too that you've called us to be your ambassadors and help us to do that, whether it's with our neighbour, whether it's with a family, whether it's with a people group, whether it's with Indigenous Australia. Help us to play our part. And I pray that you would help this church to take one thing and do it in their lives. And I pray we'd see a healing in this nation. In Jesus' name, amen.